0: Hello. Welcome to Shark Liver Oil. We're back. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And well, there's a there's a good well hmm, there's kind of a good reason for us not being here. It's a, it's a combination of well, over the last few weeks. It's a combination of um, some issues with schedules, and um, also uh, the death of a much loved author. Um, so basically our next book is uh mort by terry pratchett um, and as many of you will know uh recently terry pratchett actually died so we thought we'd give it a give it a week or so um out of respect for the guy and then do it what do you reckon though that seems about right
1: i uh, i hope so um I certainly, I think I'm recording this out of respect for the guy because he's very much a sort of a literary hero of mine. Nobody that we've done so far on Shotley Royal even comes close for me to uh, to the significance that Terry Pratchett had. So um, uh, Mort uh, centers on the character of Death, and uh, and in fact, Death was the only character that Terry Pratchett put in every one of his Discworld novels. So I hope by uh, by doing this book now uh which we planned to do before terry pratchett passed away but um hopefully by doing it now we're we're offering a respectful uh tribute to the guy because he was an absolute legend and uh and we're much poorer for not having him with us and I, I can't think of a better book to to show that really than mort it's an absolute classic
0: okay so let's uh let's get into it then so uh mort uh, by terry pratchett uh dave you, you may as well give us a just a, a brief summary of what this is all about because this is a... Uh, Terry Pratchett books, as, as you've already mentioned, are, are very much your area of expertise
1: here. <laughs> I like the idea of me pretending to be a Pratchett scholar of sorts instead of just a complete <laughs> fanboy. I'm a, I'm a total dribbling mess when it comes to the idea of giving a critical appraisal to a Terry Pratchett novel, because Mort's actually the first Pratchett novel I ever read. And I read it when oh, I was 12. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it when I was 12 years old. And um, and <laughs> when I was 12, one, one of the three English lessons I had a week, my English teacher would send us all to the library and say, get a book and read quietly for an hour, which I thought was I thought was a bit weird at the time. And I now realize it was the most magnificent sky i have ever conducted. <laughs> <laughs> go, go on and read. But um, I, I, I would try and bring in something. And, and uh, one week I forgot, so I went to the school library and got more because I'd heard that it was all right. And nearly, I nearly—I no pun intended—I I nearly died of containment on the back row, trying not to laugh aloud reading this thing because it's—it's just—it's full of like funny puns and a kind of wry view of the world and a great storyline and great characters. Um, that like when I was thirteen, I hadn't read anything like it, and I still haven't really. This particular mix is um, is is really special. So um, the idea of the book is that uh, death, you know. Death, death with the, you know, the cowl and the scythe and the and the you know, six foot seven walks around reaping oh, people. Yeah, the Grim Reaper um, needs an apprentice, and uh, and as his apprentice he goes and recruits this kind of gangly mess of a kid called Mort, um, with as the posters promise hilarious consequences. Ooh. Um, but also with sort of with quite insightful consequences I think you know it's a book about growing up and it's a book about really weird stuff and it's um it's really enjoyable but I would say that because like I say it's been one of my favorite books since I was a child so um like <laughs> uh but this is your first encounter with Terry Pratchett really isn't it
0: yeah um let's start with a criticism
1: <laughs> all right um here
0: at Shark Liver Royal we like to break books down into a a number of sections <laughs> um, and, and tell you to read to a certain point and then you know this is what we'll cover this week. Unfortunately um, Terry Pratchett doesn't tend to write in any kind of uh, typical structure in terms of chapters or anything like that. So um, it's basically just one long chapter. So, <laughs> so, um, so we're going to have a Game of Thrones level grapple with trying to work out how to tell you <laughs> where to read to here.
1: I love that that's become your shorthand now for uh, for books that are really, really difficult to kind of apportion up. It's, it's as fucking bad as Game of Thrones, this. Well, me we're in the dark days of
0: me trying to explain. If you've got the two-book version of <laughs> *The Storm of Swords*, oh my goodness! Anyway, let's let's, say, leave, get... let's leave that for the *Game of Thrones*.
1: Cast, yeah, which is coming up after we've done more, isn't it? Which is on
0: the way. Yeah. Um. So, so this time we're it's roughly a third of the book, which we're reading this time, and for this week, roughly a third of the book. And then, um, if you're reading with us till next week, get around around two thirds of the way through um and then obviously we'll read to the end that's my favorite one um <laughs> in the third week okay let's get into it then so mort we open up on a on death he's sitting there in his robe uh his black robe and his his little bony hands cuz he's a skeleton and he's uh he's looking out over Discworld, which is the world that um terry pratchett's created uh his room is actually a room full of hourglasses so each hourglass is a person's life, sort of draining away, and you hear this rushing of sand all around. Um, I, I I really love that as an image of the room. It's a little sort of macabre, but it's. it's
1: I was I was going to say that. Like my first response to that is that it's creepy. You know, just you can you can literally hear life ending. You know, you're kind of conscious of it in a sort of abstract way when you're just living and moving around. But like to actually be able to hear a symbol of it. I don't know that would that would kind of that would freak me out.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Would you? But but you you clearly are a more macabre bent than I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> and and death sort of looking down on this world, and he's trying to he's obviously looking for something or someone, and he sees this little chap capering around in a field, and he goes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: now bringing us i think to an interesting question of, of what death is supposed to sound like because in the book he's kind of distinguished by you know he does he speaks without quotation marks and all in capitals and mm. in this kind of very serifed very gothic kind of font and so and because of that i've kind of gone to this sort of like like vincent price but more profound kind of yes Yes. You know, kind of really, a far deeper voice than I can possibly do. But I like that you've kind of gone to this, like, almost insatiable glee at the prospect of interacting with another brief mortal. Yes! (laughs)
0: Yes!
1: (laughs) I like mine better, personally, but um, we'll see. I'll be interested to see how these two different voices make Death sound as a character throughout the book.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, my version is very much the voice, if you've ever seen... um Monty Python a Meaning of Life um, Just that deep Just like the voice of death As in like As you, as you imagine if it was some gothic evil um, Terrifying Horror film something So um, let me just let me Read a bit of it So in my head Death's voice is for example here Is it by any chance possible That you fail to understand me Dung boy Dung <laughs> Albert has a compost heap in the garden.
1: Like that. <laughs> now that works slightly better than I would have expected it to. Like that. That kind of like like a voice that's as dry as the centuries and is is kind of talking about really really mundane stuff. Because as we see, death is not averse to talking about massive he- massive heaps of shit in the stables and going out for meals and stuff. Um, uh, but I I still like this kind of like. Dung, boy, dung, I don't know, I imagine him being the kind of i i don't know like kind of the like the world's most terrifying public school headmaster, i suppose
0: okay, well, i think I think both voices are good, both hm. are you know both are good, um and if you have your own death voice, why not let us know what it is? in fact, send us an audio file yes! doing it oh and, yes, char uh, royal podcast <laughs> at gmail.com dot com your best death voice. And uh, we'll play him out on the cast. Magnificent! Uh, that's a serious offer, by the way. If you do send it in, we will play it out. Yeah, it's, uh, shark liver oil at yeah. uh, podcast at gmail.com um, Okay, let's move on then. So, there's uh, we zoom in now to this uh, this this lad capering around the field. Um, he's working in a, a, a field growing grapes for a certain type of wine that lets you see the future if you get drunk, but you have to have the hangover first, which is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: I, that's, that's a great example of the kind of really, really kind of witty inventiveness that Pratchett puts throughout the entire, the whole of his world. Just the idea of a wine that gets you hung over before it gets you pissed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like playing with time and stuff like that, I really like it.
0: Now, just as an example of just how useless Mort is, who's this, this lad who's bouncing around in a field, um, his job at the moment is to scare pigeons away. And um, he's, he seems to be failing to even do that. He's uh, a... <laughs> as he's waving his arms around and stuff, he's falling over himself and generally making a mess of everything. Mm. So his dad, his dad who's watching this horror show decides to, that, that it's time to, to, to send Mort away. And to so basically giving him, make him serve some time as an apprentice. Mm. So they go to this thing called the apprentice fair, which is at the market, the, the local marketplace. And, uh, as midnight approaches, all these various people are coming along to, to you know, uh, professionals are coming along to select their apprentices, these young uh, men who are waiting around, but nobody selects Mort, and it gets to midnight, and it looks like all is lost, Dave, until <gasps> death arrives.
1: <laughs> How many other books Hooray. is the arrival of death? A moment for, of relief and clarity, and you know a bright future appearing for the protagonist.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he turns up, and it's quite funny because he turns up in this grand moment, and then he sort of does a little slip on some ice as he walks over. <laughs> and it's this—this um this is the thing that Terry Pratchett plays with with um, with this character of Death, isn't it? This yeah. um, appearance of of grand sort of majesty. And also the sort of mundane uh, difficulties that he has. And how he he seems very human as well.
1: Yeah, well, that's exactly the word, isn't it? I mean, I think as human beings, we're used to kind of personifying death in a way to make it seem less human. And actually, Terry Pratchett's whole thing, I think, is that there's no more human experience than death. And so it has all of these moments where where death as a person is... um, is just really funny. I mean there's a bit later on where we meet his horse and it's called Binky. <laughs> you know, it's not like like Azog the Defiler or whatever it is. Binky the horse. Best name ever that by the Best way. Best name ever, yeah. Um I Binky the horse is what he's actually called. And uh, and just stuff like that is just just I don't know, I find it quite quite winsome and quite delightful. Yeah. Um yeah.
0: So so, so, so death offers Mort a, a place as an apprentice. He, he he's very honest. He says, you know, you're going to work for me. Um, but his dad, uh, Mort's dad, sort of doesn't understand. And it seems like um, death's almost speaking through some kind of filter mm. because um, Mort's dad is assuming, obviously, doesn't see death as death. He mm. sees him as some some bloke. And he he assumes death is a sort of a. a,
1: in the funeral business, which I suppose is kind of close. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, isn't it? I wonder, though, in this, like what Mort's dad is seeing. Like, if he's. if death is kind of messing with his head a little bit so he only. so he sees. Uh, you know, so he sees just a guy dressed in quite sober kind of, you know, top hat and tails and, and like a funeral director. Or if he's actually seeing death as a guy in a cowl with a scythe and thinks he's the, the most inappropriately dressed undertaker <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> yeah.
0: He's a novelty undertaker. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: like, well, I mean, it's midnight, son, and you've had no other office, So I think you've got to go with him. But I- I'll level with you. I don't think much of his sense of dress, very inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. As part of this conversation, uh,
0: Mort says to Death, "Oh, you know, you, you you kill people, then, dear." And Death's quite, um, is quite clear on this. He says, "No, he doesn't kill people. He says, uh, people get killed, but that's their business. I just take over from there."
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: af- after all, it'd be a bloody stupid business if people got killed without dying, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So he's he's. He's not sort of a. Um, there's no real malice to death in this, is there? It's just sort of an inevitability, just something that happens.
1: Yeah, he's kind of like the world's most deluxe civil servant, isn't he? You know, he's he's got an impressive horse and a scythe, and he can walk through time and walk through walls and and everything like that. And he's got a mansion, but essentially, he's just I just turn up and do my job, morning, you know, all of that. Just you know, just kind of getting it done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, at the end, as uh, as Mort's leaving uh, Mort's dad says to Death, "Oh, you know, drop in and see us soon." And Mort thinks, uh, "Yeah, certainly hope not." <laughs> um, <laughs> you just
1: imagine him. Yeah, probably not, Daddy. <laughs> uh,
0: and with that, they're off, flying up into space. Um, they basically fly above the the disc world, and they can see the sun has you now gone below the disc, which is why it's night. Mm. Uh, Mort gets a few questions answered. And then Death turns to him and in his whichever voice you've got in your head in this in my case, he turns to him and goes I could murder a curry <laughs> and, and then off they go to get a curry
1: No another great line. I just it's yeah. really really well well composed. Um but also um I <laughs> I quite like in your voice. It sounds a bit like uh, like he's kind of he's like been faking more more along all this time with this. I don't kill people. I just make sure they die. And he turns and goes. I could murder, and then just (laughs) leaving a pause. (laughs) A curry psych. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yes.
0: So um, so they go to Ank Morpuk I think that's how you say it. Is that right?
1: I always think ank pork, but
0: okay as um, in more as in give me more pork, give me more pork, okay, ank right. pork um which is the big sort of the big city, and uh compared to Sheepbridge, which is where uh Mort's from <laughs> it's, uh it's kind of like i don't know living in some little English hamlet and then turning up in london yeah so uh so 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 they go there for the curry um in when they're walking through the streets uh, everybody sort of avoids death so there's sort of a, he creates a path through crowds of people without people realizing it they just sort of step out of the way without thinking about it mm. um now as he's as he's walking through the city um death ducks into this alley to uh, to pick up a few kittens who've died who've been sort of left in a bag yeah and he he says uh yeah, you, you know, you don't see people at the best in this line of work. And it's just a little glimpse of how he's a little I don't know, it's part of his uh part of his character is a bit jaded and um a bit sick of people as well. Yeah. Because yeah. he sees he constantly sees them at the worst, i. e. killing people and things. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and and that kind of that does introduce this like death as a kind of slightly more nuanced character who you know is taking on an apprentice and you would think you know if you have the capacity to be everywhere and oversee all of death as a process you don't really need somebody to like like work Saturday mornings or whatever you know like you wouldn't <laughs> have thought you wouldn't have thought you had much of a leisure experience but um, but apparently he's you know he's becoming quite weary with it Um, mm. yeah
0: yeah um, so they they go to the curry gardens to uh, to have a have a curry, and then they go and buy some <laughs> buy some new clothes for Mort, because uh, Death thinks Mort's dress is rubbish, and, um, <clears throat> and Mort says that his new clothes were were new yesterday, and uh, and his dad says that his dad always says that the shop is famous for its budget clothing and uh, And death says it certainly adds a new terror to poverty <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh... now 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 that I think has to be delivered in that kind of sonorous Vincent Price kind of voice <laughs> it certainly brings a new terror to poverty, <laughs> or it certainly adds a new terror to poverty. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, you're completely ruining my image of this character, you know. Like. Years, right. more than a decade, I've had this image of Death speaking a certain way, and then here you are, uh, you, you know, trampling so, on my dreams, Matt.
0: The other thing to mention here is um, the other errand that they run while they're in Ankh-Morpork is, um, is to go to the hairdressers, and uh, Death being a, being a, a skull, just goes for a polish,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is I quite
0: liked.
1: Exactly. I, do, I do, especially since male pattern baldness is very strongly in my future and indeed <laughs> my present. Um, <laughs> like shine up, yeah. Just love the idea of going into a going into a barber's and being like just a wax. <laughs> but but they would still charge you fifteen quid for it, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, what kind of wax? Well, well, exactly. Well, fucking, fucking expensive wax for fifteen quid. Let me tell you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so we move on to the next day, um, and uh,
0: Mort wakes up in sort of Chateau Death, and uh, <laughs> he, he meets <laughs> he meets this girl called Isabel, who is apparently Death's daughter, but appears to be a normal girl. So, yeah, she's um, not like
1: half skeleton.
0: No, I think she was adopted. Ah, um, well,
1: that would make that would make a lot more sense.
0: Yeah, and he, he also meets Albert, um, who's the spindly old man servant um for death uh, albert's making breakfast when he meets him uh, it's quite interesting that death's got these very normal people just knocking around him it's not some they're not yeah. some fantastical monsters that are living there they're just these other normal people um yeah you're right it it does give an element of sort of it feels very government department doesn't it just quite mundane and you know this is just a process we getting done. It just happens to be the process is death.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting, though, because it's, it's kind of government department, but in that kind of England in the 1950s kind of a way when, you, you know, like your local hospital wasn't, as it is now, a festival of bureaucracy. You know, it was probably in some old building on the edge of town sort of thing, you know, knocked together from, a, you know, an old manor house or something like that's kind of how it feels to me is it's like it's it's an ad- administration but in in a kind of cottage industry it's like death is a cottage industry i suppose
0: yeah 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 so um mort's first job is to uh sort of consider the deepest secrets of time and space by uh by spending the whole morning cleaning up the dung heap in uh in, in the horse in the stables because it's basically it's a job that no one's wanted to do for ages so he basically spends his first morning working for death literally shoveling shit
1: <laughs> and I'll be honest have we not all had kind of low level jobs that have started with exactly that sort of a that sort of a shift <laughs> I remember one of the first yeah. bar jobs I ever worked I turned up and it was like a quiet, Saturday, a quiet Sunday Sunday morning in a pub And, uh, and I was like, is there anything that needs done, you know, kind of wanting to seem keen, not just turn up and spend four hours behind the bar looking at my phone. And, uh, and the manager was like, well, there's some stuff downstairs that needs washing if you want. And I went downstairs and it was this pile of like, like, uh, food service platters that clearly hadn't had had salad served on them sometime in the last six months and nobody had bothered to wash them. So I'm, like, oh. scraping off all this congealed lettuce and stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. uh, it was a great object lesson in why you should never offer. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised you didn't just walk out there and then,
0: no, yeah. no,
1: no, <laughs> thank Fun- you. Funnily enough, uh, having done that, I think, I, think I, uh, I, I then dodged a lot more of the more unpleasant jobs because he felt quite guilty about it. and started giving them to other people because <laughs> I did it without blinking. <laughs> Um, mostly, it has to be said because I was sleepy because it was a Sunday morning. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, after the after his job is done, his dreadful job, he um, has a chat with Albert, and Albert tells him that Death actually made this area, so he he made his own home, and um, he's made made everything, including including like little things like the broccoli. Yeah. And did you, did you feel, is everything
1: in black and white here in oh, death world? Yeah, yeah, or kind of shades of black somehow, right. like, yeah, or yeah. like, but purple seems to be a colour that's mentioned at certain points as well, mm. just like kind of, basically, if you can imagine a funeral director wearing it and it's seeming appropriate, that's probably the colour palette that Death's house exists in so white, yeah. black, and extremely dark shades of other colours. It's like that. It's like that. Father Ted bit, you know. His only pre socks are, are actually black. Everybody else's socks are actually very, 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 very dark blue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's it.
0: Yeah. So it's so not a lot of yellow and pink. Um, <laughs> no, of None of that. No
1: pastels. We can say no pastels.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so then they head out on their first. Job together, Death and Mort, uh, on, as you said, Death's horse called Binky. Um, I shouldn't
1: visit? be so pathetic that I laugh at that every time, but it's <laughs> quite Binky the horse. Binky. Binky. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, it's even better in that voice. This Come. is my <laughs> <laughs>
0: We ride pinky. <laughs>
1: it's actually it's even better in a later book. Um he does a riff on the actual four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um right. uh, so you know famine, pestilence and war. Also oh. meet up with death and um and and I I get quite a kick out of the idea of him at that point going pinky. We ride. <laughs> <laughs> to the end of all things.
0: <laughs> so, um, this time they ride to uh, a kingdom because they're off to visit a king. It's King Olerve the Bastard, <laughs> um, which I mean I I'm not, I'm not sure why he's the bastard. We we don't find out really. He's either a literally a bastard, as in, you know, his his dad. If you don't know what a bastard is, I'm not going to explain it. Or, um, <laughs> we got uncomfortably or close to the birds and the bees
1: talk there, didn't we? <laughs> no, yes. settle down, everybody.
0: Yeah, or um, he's just a really nasty guy. Um, it could be, there no was actually
1: there was actually a king way back when. I think one of um, one of Charlemagne's sons, sort of fourteen, fifteen hundred years ago in Europe, mm. in uh, in kind of what's now France slash Germany. Um, there was a, there was a king called Charles the Bastard.
0: Ooh, um, do you reckon he was just an absolute arsehole? And that's that's it.
1: <laughs> it would make me very happy if that was the case. Like, I don't want that to be <laughs> like a kind of a slur based on parentage. I do want it to be who's that? It's Charles the Bastard. Oh, really? Really? Was it illegitimate birth? Is no, 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 no. His dad's the king, his mum's the queen. He's just a complete twat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and because
0: it's his title, we're all allowed to say it. <laughs> It was a it was a
1: masterstroke on behalf of the records keepers in the citadel that I don't know how he would have coped if that hadn't come off.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um now in it, normally death uses a scythe to uh, sort of bring people in if you like. Mm. But um when it's a king he sort of puts the scythe to one side and uses a sword because they get special treatment. Mm. Um but what Mort's asking about, you know, um he, he feels <clears throat> The, the, the king's going to get assassinated here, and Mort feels that's terribly unfair. Yeah. And Death basically says, You know, it's not about fairness. When it's time, it's time, you know. Yeah. And uh, he just carries out the orders, if you like. And mm. he just lays down one of these key rules here, Death, which is that you're not
1: supposed to intervene to try and change fate, you just carry out yeah. the job. Yeah, 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 and um, and but there is a little bit of death kind of feeling sorry about that as well, isn't there? Because he kind of describes the scene, and the person who's going to be responsible for the for the killing is um, uh, is some the Duke of Stohelit, I think it is, and um, and kind of death describes all of this stuff, and then looks at Stohelit's kind of ty- lifetimer and goes, Mort says Something like sounds like a real bastard." And death goes, "Yes." and due to live another 30, 35 years, more's the pity. And like, So there is that sense of him being quite like... He's like, yeah, I can't believe the bastards are the ones who get to live for a long time, but they are, and I can't do anything about that.
0: Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, so and it's quite interesting how the nuts and bolts of this work. So um, as soon as the king is killed, as soon as he dies, death swings the sword... It, it's kind of like death does the final blow doesn't he yeah. so um as soon as that, that moment where he dies death swings the sword and he the king kind of moves between worlds it's like his ghost suddenly appears in front of death and then then the king can see death and speak to him um and before he gets sort of ushered on to the next world whatever that is so that that's basically how how this this whole sort of death experience works here
1: yeah this, i think yeah you're right it's like it is the kind of final blow like the blow that no human can strike separating soul from body sort of thing is is the kind of idea that uh that i think he's doing here and it you know and it functions quite well i always find it interesting the way that when he when he sort of um when he reaps people so to speak when people die and he does the swing of the scythe thing, and their souls separate from their bodies. You know, you get a different view of their personality compared to what they were like when they had to worry about eating and sleeping and, and power struggles and all of this. And yeah. and they never seem to hang around for very long, but they always seem to be much more interesting and sympathetic people. And I think that that perhaps says something about Terry Pratchett's particular view of death, and of you know perhaps perhaps to him personality was it kind of happened wasn't exactly what was what was ever happening at the time it was kind of what happened behind all of the things that that you actually did and said
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: uh the the next day and um, we're in the library um where uh, all the bio there's all these biographies of everybody's lives and they're all writing themselves as they go which i thought was quite interesting yeah and it, 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 i can't remember it Is is um is Mort asking for a day off or
1: did or does Death offer him a day off? Mort asks for a day off. And did, Death's quite did. Death's quite confused by this. You know, he kind of they I, I get the impression that sort of two or three weeks has passed and then yeah, Mort yeah. kind of says, you know, kind of Can I have a day off please? And and Death's like, What do you want a day off for? And um and he's quite sarcastic about it really, like where like he says, Go on, have a day off, off you go. And Mort doesn't really know how to get back to the real world, so he sort of hangs around and Death looks at him and kinda of goes, You're still here on your own time <laughs> like, this kind of very Edwardian master disgust at the idea of your your petty functionaries having lives of their own. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and he, so he he finally works out how to how to leave and he, and, uh, he goes back to it's a tank more Pork, isn't he he's, he yeah. returns to and um, I quite like the line where it says that um, looking as he does and going in the areas that he does. He's got about as much chance of survival as a three-legged hedgehog on a six-lane motorway. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) And you know that's a line that's been stolen by people reading this ever since it was written and it's it's made appearances in pub conversations (laughs) ever since.
0: Yeah. And he gets a... Mort seems to accidentally wander into a rough area of the city Yeah, and uh, he gets accosted by these robbers and it looks like they're going to sort of kill him and steal his money because he's got this big big sort of bag of gold that death's given him mm. and uh Mort escapes through a wall accidentally mm. he just sort of falls through a wall and, yeah. and it's not clear exactly what like how he managed to do it and he's not sure himself is it
1: no 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 and this is kind of this is a sort of skill that he has um or that death has De- you know, death proverbially you know, no no door can hold against him, no portal bar you know, yeah. um, and and so this is kind of more sort of doing something that death does in a situation of extreme sort of uh, stress or whatever, and it's this it's this weird thing because he's like previously he's just kind of been running behind death, trying not to think too much and sort of being in his slipstream sort of thing. But now he's on his own and he you know he has this kind of slightly death-ish skill
0: hmm yeah yeah and it's it's part of the book is Mort' discovering his own powers isn't it
1: yeah or or possibly you know as we see you know taking some of death's powers in a way
0: hmm now uh Mort's, uh as he passes through this wall he arrives in this um this kitchen. Um, of what of the household of what's called the they call the Klatchians. This yeah, market. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they, they think he's a demon, um, <laughs> obviously. But I do
1: love that their the, the particular sort of Klatchian it's sort of spiritual worldview is that demons should be a lot more impressive than this. You know, most of their responses to him they're quite deferential, but they are also kind of like this demon's rubbish. <laughs> we have better demons back home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh and Mort, Mort offers some of these coins for a horse. Mm. He's he's basically this he wants to go to the um to this kingdom where they killed the king mm. um because he he saw this girl there the new this
1: princess and he's yeah. uh, he wants to go back and uh see what's cracking over there. <laughs> can and- can you imagine just what what's in his head as far as sort of chat up lines go? What what he's thinking? He's going to say when he comes back in, uh, you know, like fourteen years old or whatever. Hi, I was there when your dad got killed last week. Uh, I, in, in fact, in a way, I suppose I was working, uh, bleakly for the guy who, who killed him. Um, c- <laughs> can I can I kiss you, please? Like like, how's that going to work?
0: <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> uh, so, but he, he trades coins for a, for a horse, to to sort of help him get there. And um, the, the family are quite pleased with this because it means they can use the money to move house because they're not very happy here. Mm. It's a little glimpse into their lives.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so he, he hops on the horse, shoots across country, trades the horse to get into the city um, uh, because there's this guard who doesn't seem particularly bothered about guarding things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, he finds this wizard... Uh, what did what did you make about this bit?
1: I don't know. It, it's. I mean, I like this character, and I particularly like the doorknob. Like, there's a there's a play <laughs> yeah. there's a play of Mort, and um, when and and so the doorknob you know features, and it's like the it's a comic high point really of the first half of the play, because you just get somebody on stage with a massive brass ring in his mouth trying to be funny, and and it's really funny if it's played properly. Um, but uh yeah he kind of appears and there's this there's this wizard this sort of young wizard it would seem um and i i like the plot required him to encounter him at this point i don't necessarily think it was it was too justified um hmm. apart from what the plot needs him to be able to do in in a couple of pages time but it was still fairly funny
0: yeah yeah <clears throat> so um and
1: the scene actually he- ends in a funny way
0: yeah yeah well, um, Mort, Mort realizes that it's it's late and he's and he's got to get back um, because obviously Death's been given him a set amount of time to be to be um, to be away. And um, yeah, take it from here, Dave. <laughs> well, this is
1: good. this is the bit with the the love filter in this in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah? Well, um. One of the nice things about Terry Pratchett things is whenever things are written down in the world, they're written down in this very kind of oldie worldy Englishy kind of a way. And this, um, one of the kind of uh, running themes through the book is that everybody responds to Mort as though he's just like a young lad who's looking to get laid and clearly needs some help in order to do that. So Cutwell, this wizard, just keeps offering him sort of love potions. And... Um, <laughs> And then it turns out Mort wants to know about how he's how he's able to walk through walls, and how that's really really weird. Um, uh, he he's kind of like I don't know what fuck off. I can't sell you a spell for that, and I'm I'm in business, you know. Stop wasting my time. And uh, but when Mort leaves, he kind of walks up and down with this this love thing, which is called Granny Weatherwax's love filter. Take ye one teaspoon before bed, and that small. And, uh, and he sort of sort of absent-mindedly kind of wanders and cutwell ends up wandering around his place sort of absent-mindedly swigging you know swigging whatever he's got in his hand and it turns out to be this love filter <laughs> so the last scene of the, the, the this the last bit of the scene is cutwell running desperately from his own house aflame with desire and jumping into this like ice-ridden horse trough just to cool himself down. And that's just a magnificent image of this, this wizard who's supposed to be kind of like a master of the elemental arts. Absolute like like running basically with his dick on fire to try and stop thinking about sex so much because he's <laughs> drunk this the world's most powerful aphrodisiac. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> what a what a way to round off your holiday.
1: Oh, oh Yeah. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um so M- Mort's back on the job after this. And um Death's sending him out solo. He says it's time that you went out, did your own thing. Mm. And uh you know he, he's got he's basically given three of these jars, three of three of these hourglasses said right, you've got to, you know, do the job on these three people. Mm. So um so Mort's this is his first big mission really. Yeah. The fir- the first person is a witch. And she's expecting him. Mm. And and she actually sort of helps him. It's quite a good first one to do on your own because she almost helps him through it, doesn't
1: she? And says, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is how it's done. <laughs> yeah, there's something almost kind of maternal about it, isn't there? Mm. You know, this, don't worry, Sandy, you'll be all right now. Come over here, you know. Um, it's yeah. quite touching, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's weird that when when he kills her, she's sort of really old and crusty. And she's ready to die, and when yeah. he kills her, she um sort of turns into a younger woman again, and then sort of disappears,
1: yeah, and it's really interesting, like like how he kind of he just can't cope with the idea of how beautiful she is, like he sees her, and he responds exactly like a thirteen year old boy faced with beauty he's like <laughs> <laughs> and she does say something really quite quite lovely at that point, which is like he says, "Um." He says like looking at the fact that she's suddenly, you know, her form has become though ghostly this incredibly beautiful woman and um he says is this who you are now and she says it's who I've always been and and I I think there's something just really beautiful in that really touching um and also, you know, perhaps not something that I'm too accustomed to thinking about but you know what getting older must be like from the inside how mm. you you know you're conscious that in a sense you are still the same the same kid that made the same mistakes or had the same joys and the same whatevers. It's just that you do them much more slowly these days, but you haven't changed. You know, you're Mm. still the same person. Um, And I thought this was a really beautiful way of kind of putting that out there. And, um, and, and, and I mean, you know, I particularly poignant given, given that Terry Pratchett went on to kind of, you know, suffer early onset Alzheimer's and die quite young um mm. is you know the idea that up to the very end regardless of what he was struggling with it, you know he he remained the same you know the same person the same love for life and the same love for humanity really
0: yeah yeah um the the, the next one uh, the next job is an abbot and this is really odd because he kills the abbot or oh, he sort of swings the the side and uh the, the it turns out the abbot is sort of used to this because he's got what what appears to be a season ticket. Because he, um, <laughs> this is his fifty third death, and uh, he's uh, he, he just sort of restarts again after that. He doesn't move on to the next world. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't. It's not really clear what process of negotiation he's gone through
1: to to sort of secure this deal. But, uh, he has the deal nonetheless. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be too enamoured of the deal, though, does he? Um, no. No. you know, like he kind of, you know, 53 times out, he's like, you know, uh, you know, I have to, I have to learn a potty training 53 times and, you know, <laughs> they're not doing it with very much imagination. I just nip down into the village and there I am, you know, and they, they, you know, they choose somebody who was born about the, uh conceived about the same time as, as the old guy died and they don't realize it's always me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although that is weird how you, you can forget how to be, how to go to the toilet but you can remember forgetting it. Yeah, a I philosophical mean philosophical problem there. I think.
1: Uh, well, I, I think the idea is that he remembers it all when he's dead, like when he's in ah, that okay, kind of transit yeah, process. Sense,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes more sense. Um, so the, the, there's that. That's an interesting little aside, really. And then we get to the third, the third person he's got to kill, which is boom, 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 the princess. <gasps>
1: Who awkward. he wanted to go and see. Awkward, yeah. isn't it? Got a crush on her. Got to go and cause her to die.
0: Yeah. And inevitably, Mort decides to save her instead of do his job like he was supposed to do. So, um, So he saves her from assassination. And then you have this awkward scene between the two of them. Mort is... As a typical teenage boy, totally awkward away around girls, and um, they sort of sit in. I don't know. I, I was feeling awkward for him during this scene. What about you?
1: Um, I I I definitely felt his pain. I don't know about you, but I think <laughs> I think every every like every heterosexual thirteen-year-old experiences this complete terror of being comp- very attracted to and yet totally nonplussed by this totally other being, you know, like girls. You experience this thing where you're like, okay, so clearly I now think girls are awesome because everything, but at the same time, I have no idea how they are to be spoken to in the slightest, tiniest little bit. And and I, I actually thought that captured that really beautifully, and I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, Terry, Terry Pratchett, kind of early in his publishing career, was known for having a, an army of thirteen-year-old boys who were his fans because he sort of gets in that mindset incredibly well.
0: Definitely, yeah. And um, that's pretty. I mean, this this moment, this uh, decision to, uh, to 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 save Princess Callie instead of uh, instead of killing her is is where we is where we end for this week. And it's a bit of a cliffhanger, isn't it? Because yeah. death's made it very clear. That uh, you're not supposed to interfere. So what happens now? That Mort has interfered.
1: Yeah, and it's a great kind of, uh, and I think it's a, it's a great setup, and there is a bit of a bit of a cliffhanger moment for us to end on. So top work on finding that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but <laughs> the um, the the sort of it is interesting how well Terry Pratchett's managed to establish his world this way that we kind of you know into the we kind of understand how it works we understand that this is going to be a problem and i think we also have a good amount of confidence that it's going to be a problem that will be resolved in a kind of in an entertaining and kind of pleasing and insightful way
0: yeah definitely and uh, so 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 for next week if you want to sort of take i mean because depending on whichever different sort of type uh what are they called uh, different Public uh, of the edition? Book. There yeah. you go. <laughs> put, yeah. Books, po- books, podcast this. Yeah, yeah. What's that thing? <laughs> was yeah, different kinds of the same. You no, know, yeah. they,
1: they bring it out and it's <laughs>
0: you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But depending on what edition you, of the book you've got, um, if you just see how far you've read so far, read that again. So get to about two thirds of the way through the book. Mm. And uh, we'll we'll pick a point somewhere around there for next week, and we'll we'll stop there, and do it in a three-part special. But uh, nice. a, 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 fi- a a fine start, I would say, uh, this book has made, and uh, we're both we're both enjoying it pretty. I mean, you absolutely love Terry Pratchett, don't you, sir? So,
1: yeah, I mean, um, so I was, I was kind of, I was already a built-in audience for this, but I'm glad you're enjoying it as well because, you know, I, as I say, like I've been reading this stuff. It was really formative of my whole approach to writing and and my whole approach to stuff that I like to read. So, mm. and I'm a writer, so like, so you know, obviously that's that's a big part of my of my life kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So I'm quite glad that encountering it at a completely different life stage to the one I encountered at that you're still sort of you're still enjoying it because um because I you know I'll I'll level with you it could have been divorce if you weren't up for this it's uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah obviously obviously that's a joke but it's uh you know like I'm quite I'm pleased to, to discover that uh that it's as good when we're this age as it was when I was that age
0: yeah, well, there's two. Th- I've got two thirds more to go before I make a final decision. But yeah, enjoying it so far. Um, if if you've got um, any uh, comments to make on Mort, by Terry Pratchett, or any suggestions for for books to do in the future, we've got a bit of a list backing up now of books. So um, if you do make a suggestion, you may have to wait a little bit for us to do it. But um, we'll, we'll definitely get round to it. Yeah. Uh, but the the email to send. The email address to send uh, to send your comments to is shark podcast at gmail.com that's shark at gmail.com you can also find us on that there twitter at SharkLiverOil. and with that with that it's time to close the book for another week until you until you sort of open it again to read it in between weeks so you're ready for the next podcast
1: so so close it close it for an indeterminate amount of time up yeah, to yeah. but less than seven days.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, And uh, and we will return next week with the second part of Terry Pratchett's.
1: (laughs) Excellent. That's the most single fucking terrifying thing I've ever heard through (laughs) a pair of headphones.